All right, we're going to look at Hebrews 2 today, and I'll tell you what. Here's what I promise you. God is going to do something in your life to really mess you up today. If God were to write to you today, if he would have sat down yesterday and written a letter to you, to me, to this church, it could not be more relevant than what was written in Hebrews 2 that was written 2,000 years ago to the church in Jerusalem. It is, and Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is living and active. It's always, it's always moving in your life. Why? First of all, it is truth. It is solid truth, and I'm going to nail that at the end of this message. But you're ever-changing. I'm ever-changing. Life is ever-changing. And as a result of that, every time I read a passage, I'm in a different place. The truth didn't change, but I changed. And so God's word, God's word comes back and it speaks to me fresh. It gives me what I need for that day. And so I titled the message, I'm only human. And you know how, what humans do? Humans get sick. Humans get lonely. Humans cry. Humans get angry. Humans get frustrated. They get bitter. If you're watching at home, I may be describing you Maybe you're here. Anxiety, frustration. You can be in a crowd and still be alone. And I think the problem is, and I, I will assure you that what Satan wants more than anything is to keep you separated. That's the power of being here together. That's the power of at least being connected online. Because you and I are not meant to be solitary creatures. It was not good for Adam to be alone. Remember that? So God created Eve. We're not meant to be isolated, and that's what Satan's trying to do right now, is to isolate people, isolate, isolate families, isolate people from the kingdom of God. And the need for this is so important, and here's why. It, maybe you don't know this, maybe you're new today, but nobody wears signs. Nobody wears a sign that says, I've been hurt more than you can imagine. I've been through grief three times. I've suffered through two divorces. I've had cancer. I've been abandoned. I've been sexually abused. Nobody wears signs. But I know enough of you, and I know enough of your stories, and I know my story, and I know some of your stories out there watching, and I know enough to know that every one of us has got a placard. It's not a sign. It's a, it's a billboard, and it fit on both sides. And we're here today because we need Jesus. Because I'm only human. Now, it's not an excuse. That is not me. Well, I'm only human, so I'm going to behave badly. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm only human, and as a result of that, I so, so need Jesus. I needed somebody to come in the flesh, live that perfect life that we talked about a couple weeks ago. He died a sinless life, died on the cross so that His blood would cleanse all of us. But if you're here and you look around and you think, oh my gosh, look at all these perfect people. Look, I'm not trying to out anybody but baloney. There, there's nobody in here but broken, hurting people. They're at different stages than you are right now, but their life might blow up tonight. And they have to add another line to their stupid placard. And until Jesus takes us out of here, there's going to be things that get added to our sign. Because that's just the truth of humanity. Am I right? But if the outside world thinks, oh, those Christians have got it all together. 
They don't know many Christians. Because every Christian I know has been hurt badly. Most pastors I know have been hurt badly. Because we're only human and we so desperately need a Savior. If you'll stand, we're going to look at verse 14 to 18. And I'm telling you, Jesus wrote this to you today. Since the children, that'd be you and me, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in our humanity. He is God, but to understand us and to bring forgiveness to us, he took on a human body that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. If you speak Spanish, the word there is diablo. It is the same word in Greek as it is in Spanish. Satan holds the key to death and Jesus came to do what? To break it. When he came back from the grave, he conquered death once and for all. To free those all their lives who have been held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels that he helps but Abraham's descendants. But I'm not Jewish. Galatians 3 says that when you accept Jesus Christ, you are grafted into Abraham's family, and we all become a part of Abraham's seed by faith. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might be a merciful. That word merciful means because he understands us, he does not give us what our placards deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, but he chooses to not give us what we deserve. And a faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You can be seated. Wow. All right. I'm only human. And you know what most humans fear? Death. Let me walk you through this passage. You need to keep your eye on your Bible. iPhone, scroll, whatever it is you're, you're working from. At home, I hope you've got something in your hand that you can follow along. Because there's a couple things we need to talk about here. First of all, if you look at the passage very carefully, it does not say that we were made humans with a soul. It says that we are a soul that God gave a body to for a temporary period of time. We were created to be spiritual beings. You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever in heaven or hell. Right. Those, those are your choices. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. You're going to live to, forever in heaven or forever in hell. Right. We don't have time to go into that right now. But he said that Jesus had to do the same thing. Jesus is in the spiritual realm and he clothed himself with human flesh. Everything is created is spiritual beings, but for a short time, we get this body. And Jesus came to do away with, are you ready for this? The fear of death. He didn't ultimately do away with death because we're going to die. He came to overcome death, and because Jesus overcame death by being raised from the dead, it's a promise to all of us who accept Jesus that we will be raised from the dead, and therefore the fear is gone. We live in a culture of abject fear. Listen, I'm not saying don't take things seriously. But there's a lot of things that can happen in this world. And I'm not going to live in fear of death. Because death is the victory for me. It's not, it's not the loss 
Now, I don't necessarily want to get on the bus today, but that's not my problem. That's God's. If you're ready, if you've accepted Jesus, and if you haven't, men, we're ready. We're going to get into this in a minute, but there'll be people down front, Palm Bay to land here. Uh, we're, we've got opportunities for you, but he came to cancel it. He came to cancel your fear, your anxiety. Now, look, I've never been there. I've never been to that spot. The greatest trip in all of your life is going to be that trip. The moment you die and step into the presence of God. I've never been there. I don't know exactly how it feels. But you don't have to fear it if you're a Christian. And the reason people are so freaked out, this is all they got, folks. And if this is all you've got, no wonder you're scared. Because your house is not going to help you in eternity. Your car is not going to help you in eternity. Your 403B is not going to help you in eternity. Are you ready for eternity? Jesus came to take away the fear of death. Here's a picture of Kirin, K-I-R-N. It's, uh, it's in a closed country. That's all they will tell us. You can see everything's kind of blacked out. Um, he gave his life to Jesus. The country that he's in, um, death penalty for having a Bible. In fact, we would be raided and we'd all be killed for me standing up here with this Bible that I'm going to give away. But in that country, he accepted Jesus. Now, I've seen baptisms done in a lot of ways. First time in a 55-gallon drum. Filled it full of water and just pushed him down. But this guy's risking absolutely everything to follow Jesus. Guys, that's what has happened for 2,000 years. That's what people do. We accept, we surrender, we follow. Because when you find the truth, you found the answer to overcome the fear of death, you grab a hold of it. Look at what it says in Romans 14, verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. There's no fear there. I've been in surgeries with people or on the way into surgery and they're like, look, if I'm healed, I wake up here with my family. It's awesome. And if I die, I'll wake up with Jesus. How do I lose? Ah, there's somebody that's figured it out. There's somebody that's got a grasp on what this really looks like to take away the fear of death. Now listen, there's lots of options, all right? We're going to have, like I said, we'll have counselors down front to help you after the service, but we're having a baptism day, all right? In Palm Bay, theirs is at 5 o'clock at, out at the beach today. Here in Ormond, it's 6 o'clock. And in Deland, it's by appointment. You just talk to Michael. He's at your disposal. He'll do it in a pond, a lake, a river, over here at the ocean, whatever you want to do. If you're watching online, you're laying in bed. You've got till 6 o'clock to get out to the beach here in Ormond, Andy Romano Park, and get yourself right with Lord so you don't have to have another night of anxiety and fear. What if this happens? What if I catch this? What if this happens? Jesus died to take that away. And he also came to bring atonement. You see that phrase? It said he, he came to make atonement for you. Not for the angels. I think this is interesting that he points this out. Because remember, the whole point of the book is the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus is supreme over the angels. He's supreme over false gods. He's supreme over everything. Jesus is the ultimate above all, name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So what does this word atonement mean? Good question. If you're in the Old Testament times, atonement is when you took the blood from a goat or a sheep 
and you would put that on the altar of God, and that was to atone for your sins. First John 2, 2, he uses a, you think you don't like that word. He says that Jesus came to be a propitiation for our sin, a death offering. He came to be a death offering for us so that we could live. He paid the bill. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. You know, this is one of the hang-ups the Jewish people have is the cross we use. Jesus wasn't crucified on the cross. Not the way you see it. That's a Latin cross. That, that comes from the Middle Ages. Old Testament is very clear. Isaiah is very clear. The Messiah will be crucified on a tree. Now, I don't know what it looked like, but it certainly was not that perfect cross that you and I are used to seeing. He might have just been nailed to a tree, or it might have just been old sticks. But specifically, when, they, when the Jewish people look at the cross that we've erected, that's a stumbling block to them, because that is not what the text says. It says that Jesus would die on a tree. So inadvertently, we've messed people up. The fulfillment of the Scripture is that He did. He died on a tree. But what that cross looked like? I don't know. And it doesn't matter except for the fact that the goal is to get people to understand and be able to trust the Bible. The word atonement, literally, if you were to break it down, it means at one meant. Atonement. At one with God. Jesus died to make you and me one with God. In fact, there in the passage, it says that Jesus took on flesh so that he could be our big brother. Anybody have a big brother that protected you? I was the big brother, but I wasn't much help. Yeah, but maybe you had a, maybe you had a big brother who was your protector. That's the wording that is used there. When Jesus took on flesh, he was now able to atone for us because he has stepped in to our spot. You know, you, you think about the story we were growing up, Humpty Dumpty. No. I mean, there's a lot of philosophical questions to ask that. Why was the egg on the wall in the first place? I mean, there, you know, there's questions that you could ask. But all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And when you look at that placard that you got, like, wow, how does anybody put this mess back together? How does anybody put all this pain back together again? Well, the truth is all the king's horses and all the king's men, they cannot. Only the perfect man-God combination stepping into the world could rebuild what's been broken by all the things that are on your side. Only Jesus could do it. In fact, Humpty would be a very simple fix compared to you and me, right? Because our stories are deep and they're painful. And there's things that maybe you've never shared with anybody. And yet Jesus came to die for those things and to bring forgiveness so that you and I can be at one with God. Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. I don't know. I don't think anybody here worships an idol. I would hope not. I hope you don't have a statue that you're praying to. I hope that you don't have any pictures or anything like that. No, our idols come in different forms, don't they? They come in bank accounts, cars, houses, land. The, the, idols, the idols can come in a lot of things, sexualness. Um, but the last thing Jesus says in this, 
is that after he came to take away the fear of death and after he came to help us be at one with God, he also came to help us overcome temptation. And how did he do that? By being tempted as we are and yet without sin. Remember that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It is imperative that your Redeemer be without sin if He is not the perfect Lamb of God that you and I are still in our sins. But He came to help us overcome temptation. Now, I assume that most of you think the way I do. Maybe I'm wrong. But when I hear the word temptation, I immediately think sexual. That's just where we go. And it would be legit because that's been mankind's problem from the beginning. So if you're married and you're having sex outside of that relationship, that's wrong. If you're married and you're having, or, and you're, you're not married and you're having sex, that's wrong. If you're having sex with the, op, the same sex, that's wrong. The Bible's very clear about all of these things. All right? You can read that for yourself. But the key to all of this is to flee. In Genesis 39, Joseph is the best story I can give you. Joseph in the Old Testament has got it made. He's, he's a powerful, become a powerful man. He works for a powerful man. He lets him take care of everything. But this guy's wife wants Joseph. And she's not shy about it. And she's pursued him over and over and over again. And he's tried to outsmart her. He's tried to not be in the same place. He's turned down her advances. But now she's got him cornered. And he's only got one move to make. And he runs. Listen, I've counseled people to, to move out of state. I said, if you want to save your marriage, you got to, well, I got a great job. It depends. Do you want to save your marriage? Because I don't think you can stay here and save your marriage. I'm not saying it has to be that drastic. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Flee from immorality. But it doesn't have to be just sexual. It could be the temptation of money, the temptation of power, the temptation to mistreat people, uh, the temptation to be in the wrong place. I was, in, I was in Ecuador one time with my friend Whitey. He's my prayer partner. We, uh, we've been prayer partners for, I don't know, 30 years. He's old. Um, but uh, we were assured that Ecuador was the most, the safest place on the earth, nothing to fear. Never been a problem in Ecuador. We get dropped off at the airport and a riot breaks out. And, I mean, people are, they've been there all night because the flight got canceled. And um, they're pounding on the glass windows and the windows are about to break, those big glass windows. And, and I'm thinking, what are you going to do if you break down the glass and you can't fly the plane? I mean, I, I didn't, you know, but it's all going down in Spanish. Everybody's screaming and yelling. And then these guys come in with AK-47s. And my friend Whitey looks at me and he said, Joe, I don't understand a word he's saying, but I know this. We need to be over there. And we did. We went and glued our little English behinds to a wall on the other side of the airport. We let them sort it out. The problem is, when we face temptation a lot of times, we see how close we can get to the AK-47. Let's get right up close and get a picture. No. When the heat's on, you want to be as far away from temptation as you can get. Does that make sense? I think it does. Well, you can, read, you can read that for yourself. Just great, fresh stuff here. So I don't know if you're, if you're afraid of something, if you need to flee from something. I don't know where you're at today, but Jesus is still the answer. So I'm going to tell you, we'll do our little story here. I want to talk about my, mitochondrial DNA.
Now, don't ask me questions because I can't answer them. All right? Let's just cut to the chase. Look it up. But microchondrial DNA is an interesting thing. Nobody knew we had DNA until about 1860. I think it was a Dutch guy that found it. Uh, but, but every cell in your body has DNA. And inside that DNA is thousands of other compounds, and we still don't know what we don't know. It was like 1950 before American scientists started working on it, and really in the 90s before we really began to understand it. But now we know that they could take one little piece of hair from my head or a drop of blood or a little bit of spit, and they could tell you everything about me. They can tell you my blood type. They can tell you what color my eyes are. They can tell you any diseases that I I'm, I'm possibly have. It's all there coded inside my DNA. What you have inside that DNA, DNA string, which is thousands of particles, inside each cell that you have billions of in your body. All right? Stick with me. They found this stuff they call mitochondrial. DNA. So there's, there's, some, there's some pieces inside those pieces. And those pieces are what, when you eat, they're, they're called the energizers. And when you eat something, it converts what you eat into energy. They don't, it's amazing how evolution did that. These little parts of the cell take that taco that you put inside of you, has to work extra hard if you eat a taco, and it converts that to energy so that you can walk and talk and think. But here's the cool thing. They don't know why. Microchondrial DNA only comes from your mother. I don't care whether you're a man or a woman. Your microchondrial DNA is from your mother. Now, the reason this is back in the headlines, if you look it up right now, is because the scientists are so excited because they found... They found two or three families that have male mitochondrial DNA. And that's what they were hoping to find because that would disprove it. But the truth is those people are very, very sick and they're dying because the body's not supposed to have it. It's supposed to come from the female. All right, this is a long story, Joe. Where are you going? I'll get there. All right. So inside each one of us is this trace back to my mom. Back to her mom, back to her mom. And the scientist said, we have to admit that all of us came from, and I love how they say it, a metaphorical Eve. They can't say Eve because that would throw, they'd have to admit they believe the Bible. But what they said was, we have to admit that all of mankind came from one woman. Huh. Genesis chapter 2. Adam is having a conversation about his wife. And if you read chapter 2, you ladies don't get offended. He always calls her woman. Adam calls his wife woman. Means the one who was taken out of man. He says it several times. The woman did this. The woman did that. The woman said this. The woman did that. Guys, I wouldn't recommend that. I'm just, I'm just telling you. But... But what it means is the, the one who was taken out of man. But in Genesis 3, they're thrown out of the garden because of their sin. And Adam renames his wife. He gives her a name. What's he give her the name? What's her name? Eve. What does Eve mean? The mother of all living. Your DNA 
It goes back to your mother, to her mother, to her mother, to her mother, all the way back to Eve. Why is that significant? Well, it proves what Adam said. But Adam, or Eve, was taken out of Adam. Adam was stood up by God and breathed life into him. So the blood that is flowing through your veins is literally the blood of Adam and Eve. That's free. The mother of all living. Look it up. Science just... And I mean, how in the world could anybody have known that? That, that secret was hidden for 6,000 years. Adam makes a statement. It took us till 1990 to prove that statement true. And we weren't even trying to prove it true. It just is. See, God's Word is provable. You can trust it. And if I can trust that, if I can trust that Eve is the mother of all living, I can trust Jesus too. Because He stepped in to fulfill that. So we're going to go now to communion. So if you're at home, get your stuff ready. doesn't matter. Just have something liquid and something solid. It'll work. And Palm Bay and Deland and Ormond, we've all got these cups. I said last night, I said, the one thing you want to do is not dump this on yourself. And my wife promptly dumped it on herself. And I said, I even, I even warned you. I gave her a warning. But anyway, it happens. And I only know it because I've done it many times. So... Because of, of COVID, we've got these deals. We ask that you dispose of them on the way out so that nobody else has to. But it's a sanitized package, and I, it bothers me because I promise you what happened on that cross was not sanitized. It was a bloody, gory mess when the Son of God was the propitiation, the atonement for my sin and for yours. And so when we take the bread, we remember his body and saying, I believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. And... Hold that cup up and take a look at that juice, all right? This is, it's not blood, all right? It's juice. But I want you to imagine, because that's what he said. Every time you drink the cup, you remember me. Remember that your blood goes back to Jesus' blood, which goes back to Adam and Eve's blood, which God started pumping at the beginning of time. Father, I, I thank you. I don't know who needs to be moved today. I don't know who needs to make a decision I don't know who needs to be baptized. I have no clue who's even watching. So you'll have to handle that. But Holy Spirit, make your words come alive inside of people. I pray. I pray that there'll be 50 or 100 that decide to be saved today. All three campuses. People will get out of bed. People will come running to accept you. But right now, we remember you. So if you'll take the top off, see, I already messed it up. Take the bread, reminder of Jesus' body for us. And if you look behind me, you'll see that all the worship team is participating with you again. A major, major reason it's so important that the church gather together because Jesus, Jesus said every time you get together, this is what you focus on. It's me. It's what I did. And there were many times throughout church history when there were no preachers. There was nobody to teach. The church would get, gather together, sing a few songs, and they would remember the price that was paid for their sin. Take the juice and remember his blood.